You are listening to the SitRep Podcast, your source for historic wargaming with a fresh perspective. We review the latest and greatest products in wargaming, discuss rules and what-if scenarios, and we cover the news and the latest trends. This is all brought to you by your SitRep command team from around the world. Join us for another riveting conversation here on the SitRep Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Bill, and you're listening to the Sit Rep Podcast, and the command team is all together. We are joining you live from around the world. And with us today, we'll start going from east to west. Yeah, let's do that. East to west. Yeah. Uh, the farther easterner would be Gaz over in merry old England. Gaz, how are you doing today? I am very good. It's Sunday. I'm not in work, and that's a good thing. Good. Um, and then coming this way, I guess the next most Eastern person would be Big Jim Ariskini, our historical letter down in sunny Florida. Jim, how are you today? My mood is officially sleepy tank gunner. If you must wake <laughs> me, be careful. <laughs> Other than that, I'm fine. All right. Yeah. Sounds awesome. Uh, moving along. So from there, I guess it's you and I. Yeah, it's us. Yeah. Uh, hello, everybody. Marty's with me here in the studio. Hey, how you doing? All right. So, and then all the way over in the far west reaches of the North American continent is our Canadian representative, Chris. Chris? How's it going, eh? Uh, is it maple syrup time? No, no. That was yesterday. That was yesterday. <laughs> he doesn't really talk like that, but he's playing it up and we appreciate it. <laughs> All right, guys. So <laughs> we have a lot to talk about today. We have a major topic we're going to bring up. It's been the rage of uh, wargaming this week on a lot of different channels. And we thought we would put in our pen pound worth, dollars worth. Canadian. All right. So it'd be a buck 15 Canadian, right? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> so it'd be one pound or 135 in US dollars and about two bucks in Canadian dollars. Um, so we're going to give our opinion on this topic. And if you follow any of the gaming channels on YouTube or any podcasts or magazines or whatever, you'll be familiar with this topic. So we'll be talking about that. But first, we want to catch up with the team on news and projects that they've got working on. And uh, now let's go west to east. So, Chris, why don't you start us off? Uh, what's going on with me? Right now, um, I'm recording a lot more videos. I'm editing them right now. Uh, we've got more coming up for the Battlefield series uh, in what making progress in our hobby. Uh-huh. Uh I am waiting for a book that is on its way. Battle Group Pacific is on its way to me right now. And so I'm working on Japanese for that. Okay. Uh, North Peg is, the British are almost completely done. I'm working on the Royal Air Force continues. Uh, And then this month I'm starting on Warsaw Pact. Um, That's what's going on for me right now. And we've got, I've got a lot of Vietnam uh, videos coming up. Very nice. Well. Um, the, those aircraft now are you're 3D printing them, right? Yeah, uh, all my aircraft are all 3D printed. So I have Lynx, Lynx Tow, uh, Tornado, uh, Jaguar, um, Phantom, and Harriers, obviously. 
So those are all being painted right now. That's awesome. So, um, you know, it, it's amazing. Where are you finding the files? That you, so in case people uh, want to add some Thingiverse. aircraft. Thingiverse. Thingiverse. Um, at okay. the end of, yeah, at the end of um, painting the uh, the aircraft, I will be doing a video, and I'll put the link in the description of the video for Perfect. everybody. Awesome. Very cool. And then you've got some uh, reviews you're going to be doing soon, right, on some product? Yes, I just received on Friday um, two cigar battle mats um, for uh, fields, and there's some, one of them's got roads on it. So I'll be for one of the um, printed fleece fabric mats. Uh huh. So I'll be uh, doing a video on those, and uh, those will be also added to upcoming videos that I do on Normandy coming up for next year. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Anything else on your plate? Doesn't sound like you got too much going on. Uh, that's about it right now. Excellent. I think that's enough. Yeah, I think that's enough. All right. So moving eastward, um, it's you and I. Yeah. Um, and the uh, Ambassador's Compound is just about finished. I just got to do a little cleanup and just a little bit of detail work. But it's essentially finished. Yeah. So uh, it's ready to rock and roll. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, like I uh, announced earlier in a different show, we do have to move um, the uh, Benghazi weekend ahead a weekend uh, due to some travel commitments on my part. Um, so we will be doing that uh, a weekend later than originally planned. Unfortunately, some real life situations got in the way and, and I can't schedule around it. So we will be doing it then. But uh, the table's ready to go. And we got Gaz's miniatures from England. Yes. So, you know, we don't even have that as an excuse going, oh, he didn't send them. So they're here. They're ready to go. So we just got to do a little cleanup. Uh, we got to finish character cards. Now, I had a thought. Uh oh, I know it's, it's dangerous when I have thoughts. Did you get the uh, post today from Skirmish? Or last night, I should yeah. say. 2.0? Uh, yeah. The one, the new play test? Yeah. The one yeah. point. I, I have read half of it already. I, yeah. I downloaded it last night, but I saw it at like 11. So, I so guess what we're going to use for our rule set for the Benghazi table? We, we, we talked about this yes. a little bit a, a while ago saying it would be kind of cool to be able to use those, but we weren't sure what the timing was going to be. Well, they're, they're out as a, so we're going to officially, officially play test. Uh, so we will blame. Colin yeah. and the and Co. If the GRS operators get wiped out, yeah, you, Colin. <laughs> so, so you guys over there at Skirmish, uh, we're going to use that, and I'll reach out to them to let them know we're going to do that. Uh, Chris, have you talked to them recently by chance? I know you talked to them once in a uh, while. I talked last time. I talked to them. Colin was probably a few months ago. Actually, okay, because he's been pretty busy. Uh, they're trying to get those uh, those miniatures done in 2S for Ultra Combat. Yeah. And uh, them having to switch sculptures kind of screwed things up a little bit for them. Yeah. And I know with COVID, they were in shutdown, shutdown. Yeah. So being in New Zealand, they were totally shut down. So but I'll reach out to them myself as well. And, uh, yeah, we'll let them know that it is our intention is to use that rule set. Yeah, thanks for the homework. Now i got to read another rule set. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, looking forward to that. Um, so that's pretty much what we got on the table uh, is to finish that up. 
Um, and then, like I said, that'll roll us right into our season end break. Um, we're going to take a break after the Benghazi. So by the end of we'll have what one more podcast in, in September ish, sort of, maybe. Maybe, well, by the end of September, the break will begin and we'll be back in November. This gives everybody a chance to recharge. And, um, you know, Jim's got some good programming uh, coming out or out and Gav's work is ramped up. So unfortunately, real life gets in the way we, and we don't do this full time. And uh, but so we need to sometimes just step back and take a breather. And you guys uh, follow us pretty well. And, you know, we do a season and then we take a, a break, about a month break. And then we come right back in and hit it hard. So uh, that's the plan. Um, quick note, YouTube yes. and Discord will not be taking a break. Oh, Jim's going to be rocking and rolling. Um, are you going to well, still you, be doing some break, uh, you, gaming? Whatever whatever the community wants, but we won't be taking a break. Okay. If you take a break and you come back, you don't have a channel anymore. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll be keeping something up. Okay. Um, at least on some of the channels. Okay, good. Well, well, there'll be content. It's just the podcast itself does a reset. Um, as we work, I'm going to be working some new graphics. So there'll be work on behind the scenes. Um, we just take those couple of weeks off the reset and Jim's going to be, you know, active as always. Um, you know, and that, and that's another discussion point I wanted to talk to everybody about. I know Jim is extremely active, uh, for his online gaming on the weekends. And, um, you know, he tries to reserve Sundays for set rep gaming, historical gaming. Um, but I want to open up, and this is totally Jim's decision, but my suggestion is if somebody wants to do some kind of ga different gaming on a Sunday, do some different gaming. on. I mean, you know, if it's sci-fi or fantasy or whatever, gaming is gaming. Let's let's promote gaming, you know, even though we're historical gaming. Um, you know, if you've got people, Jim, that are anxious to play a game and it's not historical related – you know, I, I would say play it. You know, we, we like to see a little bit of mix up. So, you know, it's it's all about getting people playing a game. So um, that leads me right into you, Jim. Uh, what you got going on? What's your projects? Uh, we got a couple things going on. Uh, recently, we had some videos go up for uh, we expanded Valor and Victory system by Barry Doyle into Afghanistan. We had a pretty successful play test with Dylan over in uh, Australia on that one. Mm -hmm. That's another historian wargamer uh, on YouTube. He has his own channel. That's really good. Check him out, please. Um, we've done multiple play tests now of the 13 days to 13 hours Benghazi transit game. Uh, we've had some mixed results. Um, Gans can probably talk about those a little bit later if he wants. Or if, if he's still in PTSD over it, he doesn't have to. Uh, you know, if you want to discuss it now, I was watching the third part this morning. And uh, guess what happened with all the uh, ambivalent guys turning to Feb 17? I think in the, uh, well, we tested a rule in the first run out of uh -huh. a vehicle. Tends to running over local population. Uh -huh. And the uh, alternate universe of the second play test uh -huh. must have heard about that. And... Uh, yeah, they all turned Feb 17 on me. So uh, uh, that and the interpreter was a, I don't know, <laughs> he's got some sort of charm skill. <laughs> so every set of bad guys that got near him, he turned to neutral or worse, turned to friendly, which, yeah, that guy's getting shot at the earliest opportunity every time now. <laughs> that interpreter is target number one. I don't care about the GRS anymore. Or the guy <laughs> in the cap in blue body armor. He is priority dead. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I mean, yeah, that's kind of how it went. But in all seriousness, um, it's, 
the second play test, we had a lot of uh, a lot of really lucky rolls on my part. I won't, you know, I mean, people love to complain about their dice. Oh, I lost every die roll today. What's going on with my dice? That, that I have days like that. Um, see Rasmus versus Jim in uh, Letters of Mark. Uh, that was a bad one. But at the same time, the converse is also, or the inverse is also true a lot of the times. I just had a really good day with the dice. Mm-hmm. And uh, a tactic came about where, um, okay, so the way it works is there's a friendly militia, and the game starts off with no friendly militia. Um, so each group of ambivalent militia is controlled for that turn by a random player. You roll odds or evens, you see who controls that given X of ambivalent militia, and they move around under that player's control for that particular game. So whenever I would get a group of militia, I would move them towards me. And it's it's risky, but when the dice are on your side, it works. Yeah. Um, and then you just move your, your interpreter near them, and then once he's adjacent or in the same X or an adjacent X, you make the roll. And again, I was... I had hot dice that day. And yeah, by the time we got to, uh, the time we got to the compound, I think we had like 13, um, the Feb 17 militia active, Feb 17 militia in combat with a technical, with a douche, with RPGs, <laughs> with light machine guns. Now, see, Feb 17 was an army, man. Um, the, on turn six, I had all six operators. I had my, uh, my interpreter, I had like at least a squad, and I mean that in the literal sense, like twelve, like ten to twelve guys with vehicle support, and the enemy force was exactly one hostile militia. Gas's army was one figure, uh, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. it, it, it kind of went off the rails there. There is a bit of a snowball effect, which is intentional. Um, I just don't think that that last playtest results are going to be typical. When you draw a whole bunch of militia to your interpreter. It's kind of a risky tactic. It pays off. We've seen what happens when it pays off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would not be surprised if when we tried it again, we're going to see it when it doesn't pay off. Because those ambivalent militia can turn hostile as well. And if they turn hostile and you've now surrounded yourself with militia, get ready. Yeah. You know, um, it's, it's going to be a really bad day. But yeah, we had a wild time. We had uh, Oz with a wound and that was it. We had We had one wounded GRS. Um, figure there. Now, one last thing I wanted to bring up because we were talking about casualties and historical results and whatever. Yeah. And yeah, you guys uh, chime in or, or weigh in if if, I, if this sounds crazy. Um, to, as a game designer, I'm finding it statistically very, very rare that we meet the historical results. The historical results of the GRS team gets there in seven minutes with no significant casualties. The GRST made it there intact uh, with nobody killed and nobody wounded. That's going to be very rare. Even this runaway game where poor Gaz, I mean, the Sportsman of the Year Award goes to Gaz. Even in a runaway game like that, we still wound up with one uh, GRS character seriously wounded. Mm-hmm. So the idea that, the, you know, and that's going to be the best. We're, never, we're probably never going to see that again. Um, when we had the previous playtest, we had the interpreter stabbed to death. We had one GRS person who was severely wounded. We had another one bled out in the street. So you're, you're, the idea that it's going to turn out like the movie is not it's not accurate. It's, it's not going to happen. Right. However, I think I think that's okay because, and again, weigh in or correct me if I'm wrong. If I remember correctly, the idea of the game is what would have happened if the GRS left immediately instead of that 35 minute wait. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So 
35 minutes before when they left, the whole situation at the compound, at the consulate, and in the streets was a lot more active. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be bloodier. Yep. They, if they had left on time, they would have met a lot more resistance, and they probably would have taken more casualties. Yes. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, I, so, you, you nailed it right on the head. I mean, it is, if we leave now, in the heat, in the heat of the hornet's nest, can we save the ambassador, and how is it going to look, right? Because if you you read the story or you listen to the interviews, and there's a great one with the guys from Benghazi on YouTube channel. Um, I don't remember what the name of the channel was, but they talk about it. And, you know, and then there's the movie. They come in at the ebbing of the attack. You know, the attack is pretty much waning at this time. If they come in at right when it was in the heat of the battle, it would have been a different story. So, um, yeah. I just think I just want to set expectations to where we're, we're probably not going to match the movie results mm -hmm. as far as the transit game goes. Obviously, as far as the actual compound battle goes, we definitely don't want the historical results. Um, that's the whole point of the project is we want to see if, you know, GRS leaving on time could have made a serious difference. Right. Um, just I want to set expectations for the team and for the community that don't expect all six characters to be alive and kicking uh, when we get there. It might happen. It happened last time. Again, Oz was wounded, mm -hmm. um, but he was still combat. I'm not sure how the wound system uh, works and works works in your actual miniature game. But on on my table, he wound up with with a wound that left him, you know, combat effective, but just at a reduced capacity. Yeah, um, I think that's going to be about as good as a result we get. I don't, I think I don't foresee. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to how we play or how I play the militia. Because mm -hmm. obviously I have um, a battlefield overview as a controlling player that wouldn't have existed between the guys on the ground in reality. Yes. So I wonder if I, I play it a bit more, keep the groups the groups, don't randomly move them, but also don't focus on vehicles that I can't see, you know, um, sort of initiate by okay we talked about I think Jim put in a great mechanism for sound increase in the threat on the street level that we roll for at the beginning of each turn uh, what I might do is have them generally sort of mill around until they hear the first engagement and then start to shift towards the sound mm -hmm. so, to, so that that focuses them on oh they're coming from that direction therefore I start moving stuff south if they're coming from the south or the east. Um, so I think I'll actually try and play not not specifically to focus, kill, stack my statistics for my units, but I'll actually try and play them as a group that might have been using mobile phones that would going off the sounds that are going off around them. There's going to be gunshots and shouting. Uh, actually try and play them as a mob rather than a you know, somebody that's got upset. Yeah. Got, you know what? That yeah. it, that almost sounds like the mechanic in uh, Walking Dead game. You know, that the yeah. zombies yeah. get attracted to the sound. And, um, I, you know, I was kind of thinking about it. I mean, is there a fog of war element that could be put in? But, you know, also it's a two-part process because while you have the people, you know, in the streets, the militias in the streets, you still had that group that was attacking the compound. So, yeah. Um, you know, it's yeah, almost like you'd have two modeled. different activities going on at the same time. Uh, that's modeled uh, in the setup conditions. Uh -huh. As far as um, 
whether or not uh, the militia player, the hostile militia player has enough control over his units. I, I would, I mean, I would never tell anyone how to play on their army, but I would, you know, outside of just, oh, I'm going to immediately build a ring, an impenetrable ring of forces around the actual combat because I know that's where he's going to go. As far as attacking the vehicles go, I mean, yeah, everybody in that militia army has a mobile phone and um, they know they literally live there. They know that city backwards and forwards. So as soon as somebody on that Nokia or whatever chirps on the Nokia and says, hey, they just passed the 7-Eleven, they just passed the Chuck E. Cheese, uh, they just passed, you know, the valve on the oil plate, they all know exactly where that is. Mm -hmm. In fact, in some ways, they might have better um, situational awareness than the GRS does. Oh, yeah, most Um, definitely. Yeah. Now, conversely, I think the GRS had a drone up, but I don't know if they had access to that. Um, that's always kind of a question as a, you know, as a designer, as far as you know, how much uh, you know view of God you're going to have in your game or whatever. I, I don't really have a problem with it. Um, we are changing the way that hostile militia and ambivalent militia set up on the table when they actually appear. Um, I think before the players had a little too much uh, freedom. And so, like, friendly militia and ambivalent militia was popping up. Like, they were literally coming up out of the storm drains, like, in the middle of the street. <laughs> you know, like, popping up in the middle. And it's like, well, uh, no. With a tush on the back yeah, of the vehicle. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 maybe not. Um, so we are still making some slight tweaks. But it's, yeah, it's, it was on my original point. Um, having that fog of war and having that mob mentality, I think a little of that's already modeled in the game. Um, in that, like as as Gaz found out to his uh, displeasure, um, that he can lose control of his army. Um, so that the GRS is pulling up past like three militia guys. The three militia guys blast, you know, they empty their magazines at the uh, the GRS. The GRS have just come out of their vehicles, but they have got the cover and conceal bonus. Um, so the, pretty much the bulletproof uh, SUVs are taking all the fire. And then rather than fire back, the interpreter makes a check, and all of those hostiles are now ambivalent. Mm-hmm. So, and because of the way the fire for the, the turn sequence is set up, he never got that, you know, he never got to shoot those units again. Um, that's kind of intentional. I mean, I kind of warned everybody about this from the start. The militia player is not really going to control his army uh, in a classic sense because, you know, he's running a mob. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I tried to build the game where the players can kind of do whatever they want. And if they wanted to get as gamey as they wanted to, they would still deliver a historical approximate result. Um, But again, you know, the only thing I was somewhat worried about is if the militia player just says, oh, I know that the GRS player is has to go to one of these three hexes, the front gate, back gate, or personnel gate. I'm just going to build a moat of militia around this castle and dare you to kind of break through. Like, literally, the militia is going to form squares around the militia and, you know, come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. Right. Um, not only is that not realistic, it's going to make for a boring game. That's the only thing I'm a little concerned about. But as far as bum rushing the GRS, especially once they get out of the vehicle, um, this was another thing that came out in the playtest. The firepower differential is absurd, especially if the GRS player is careful with this movement. Um, again, it's not really fair because I'm the game designer. That's why I wanted to make sure I was not the GRS player uh, during the actual game that counts because um, I literally wrote the game system. But yeah, with careful using of those rules, I mean, those guys pretty much were, I don't want to say invincible, but because again, one of them was wounded. But that one fight exchange of fire, I think that was on turn four, um, Gaz, if I'm not remembering that right. Yeah, I mean, it, it was like 12 to one or 15 to one as far as the, you know, the hit ratio and the kill ratio goes, um, which again is intentional. Uh, 
you know, tier one operators versus, you know, random schmuck with an AK firing it with one hand. You know, it's, you're, you're going to see that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, the play tests are going pretty well. Everyone, we get a little bit closer to the, the final state that we want to get to. I won't say perfection, but as, you know, as close to, you know, what we kind of want as, uh, as we're, as close to what we're aiming for as I think we're likely to get uh, with this kind of game. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I'm actually pretty happy with the way things are going on that project so far. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we've, we've played tested it a couple of times, Jim and I, and we've, we've almost tried, I think, everything that could test the game, haven't we, Jim, really? I think the only thing we haven't tried is the moat, but I wouldn't do that as a, as a militia player anyway. I've always tried to sort of spread out into the avenues of approach rather than just stay at the compound. Um, I do have some assets there for, to make up the mob mentality and, and what was going on at the compound to keep the threat up. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, you literally don't have a choice in that matter. Your, your, your setup conditions in the transit game require you to have, I think, or re- require the militia player to have at least six figures at that front gate. Yeah. And again, that's to, that's to simulate that uh, or approximate that uh, that protest and attack that was going on at the front gate at the time. Yeah, I think I've never, I've always moved them off the front gate, but I've only ever really moved them around the compound to keep the idea of, the, you know, the threat of the mob. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they end up being my last line of, I say defense, but last game they were, <laughs> they were not defending. They ended up turning to the enemy. So, so yeah, uh, I might be moving them a bit further away on the next one just so that you're not getting friendly forces when the interpreter turns up. <laughs> so, yeah. The last, the last big, yeah, the last big exchange of gunfire across the street was, okay, I'm going towards the, the back gate. Um, with the with the guys on foot, I didn't try to drive to the front gate. I'm going to try to get there on foot. Try to get there on foot, um, and then I try I put in like that full squad or understrength platoon almost of Feb 17 guys like between me and the enemy. Tried to use them as meat shields a little bit. And guys had a choice: do I shoot at the GRS as they try to cross that last street, or do I shoot at the Feb 17 guys that are literally standing out in the middle of that street at point blank range? Um, he chose to shoot at the GRS guys, um, which is like kind of the objective of the game. But if he had chosen to shoot at those Feb 17 guys, that would have been a massacre. So I literally yeah. just piled them in the street, like right in front of them. I think we um, talked it out, didn't we? And said, if we'd have been playing the actual game, I would have definitely shot the Feb 17, knowing it would have given me a clearer board for the return transit. It's true. Uh, but because we weren't playing the other one, I shot the GRS. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's kind of the objective. I mean, the VRS is the primary target. Um, but as far as like the the very, very uh, one-sided results of that game, um, if it had been more of an equal or symmetrical battle, where it's like, oh, the GRS is running into the, you know, uh, is running into the compound, but the FEB-17 and the hostile Libyan militia are just going to go, you know, World War II in the streets, Stalingrad style, we would have seen a much more even. Oh, my good God, that one fire face. We all had single D6s because I did not have cover and conceal bonus, and you would have plus one to all your rolls because you were a point blank range. Yeah. You had two LMGs, one surviving SMG. Uh, you know, sort of like total figures. That would have been a probably nine dead. Um, so you would have wiped up at uh, Feb 17. Yeah. As big well, as they were, you would have wiped them out in one fire phase. I had a couple of RPGs, I think, so at that point as well. Uh, for the dush that was down by the south gate. But, you know, yeah, we've played this a couple of times now. I think Jim and I are 
a good point with it. I think we're we're close to being the, the final product, if not at a final product with those last changes. What do you think? Uh, yeah, again, with those little bit of deployment and uh, initial disposition rules for new and hostile militia, mm-hmm. uh, for new ambivalent militia, I, I think we're I think we're pretty much there. Yeah. Um, the interpreter check might go down to a plus one. 